Hi, I'm Mary, and I'll be doing the second Bible reading taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting from verse 3 to chapter 7, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as imposters, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. This is God's word. Hello, my name is Ali. It's great to be with you today. Well, as we come to our sermon, we're first going to begin by coming before God in prayer. Please pray with me as we do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it reveals who you are and what you've done. We ask that you might use it now to grow us in our desire to see your name glorified and your kingdom built. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're all familiar with partnerships. We see partnerships all around us in the world. We see it in the sporting world. We see it in the business world. We even see it throughout history. Partnerships allow us to reach higher heights than we would have otherwise been able to achieve by ourselves. This is certainly the case with the Woodies. They're one of the most famous Australian doubles tennis partnerships. And so together they combined to be one of the most successful tennis doubles partnerships of all time. They combined Wood Ford's uh, left-hand base play with Wood Bridges' net play and volley play. 
And so together they went on to um, win quite an amazing amount. They won 61 ATP doubles tournaments. They won 11 Grand Slams. They even won two Olympic medals. Together they were quite an incredible partnership. We see other partnerships like the partnership between Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. If you're not familiar with who they are, they're the founders of Apple Computers. And now, of course, that partnership changed the world. I reckon if we did a bit of a survey of all the people in our church, we'd struggle to find many households that didn't have at least one Apple device in them. It's estimated that there's over one billion Apple users around the world. That partnership quite literally changed the world. See, that's what partnerships can do. But today, we're thinking about a partnership that can impact the world even more than those partnerships, that can impact the world even more than one of the most successful tennis partnerships, and that can impact the world even more than the partnership that led to Apple. Now, that might sound like a bit of a funny thing to say, but the reason we can say that is because these partnerships we're thinking about today don't just focus on the here and the now. They don't just focus on the physical world around us. They're to do with the eternal world, with the spiritual world. See, these partnerships see lost souls saved. They see people brought from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of death, into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of life. Today we're thinking about gospel partnerships. And what we see is that gospel partnerships are so important because they enable gospel ministry. And for example, what's our mission here at church? I'm sure we're all so familiar with it that we could say it in our sleep. What is it? Making and maturing disciples of Jesus. Or is it? No, because there's more to it, isn't it? It's making and maturing disciples of Jesus together. See, in our mission statement, we've captured that idea of gospel partnerships. We walk alongside each other. We help each other. Your strengths and my strengths coupled together for gospel ministry. And so today we're thinking about that. We're thinking about gospel partnerships. And as we do, we'll see four things. We'll see that gospel partnerships are powerful. We'll see that gospel partnerships are personal. We'll see that gospel partnerships are protective. And we'll see that gospel partnerships are pure. And in our passage, Paul starts by reminding the Corinthians that he is in a gospel partnership with them. He says, I'm on your side. I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I'm not a stumbling block to your faith, to help you excel in your faith. He's telling them he's their gospel partner. Did you see that in verses 3 and 4? Have a look with me. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul is living a gospel-centered life. He's living a gospel-shaped life. He's making sure that everything he does commends the gospel. Everything he does doesn't get in the way of their faith. See, the gospel is on display in every aspect of his life, in his conduct, in his speech, in his relationships. And isn't that the kind of person we'd love to partner with in gospel ministry? And in the same way, that's what we should be like. We should be living gospel-centered lives, gospel-shaped lives, We should be making sure that we don't cause others to stumble. We should be making sure we're helping others to flourish. And what do you think? Are there errors in our life that would give people a reason to not listen to the gospel? 
Are there areas in our life that might hamper our partnership in the gospel? What do you think? See, it's so important that we reflect on that and that we make sure we're not getting in the way of the gospel. Because, and particularly not getting in the way of gospel partnerships because they help us to flourish. I was chatting to a friend about this recently and he uh, grew up on a dairy farm and he was telling me about this funny sight that you often see on his farm. What you see is these giant milking cows and sitting on their back are these tiny little birds. And what the birds do is they sit there and they eat all of the bugs off the back of the cow. And it's, even though it looks a little bit funny, it's this uh, wonderful, wonderfully mutually beneficial relationship. Because what happens is the bird gets a delicious feast of all those bugs and the cow gets essentially a bath or a shower. It gets cleaned. It makes sure all those unpleasant bugs are taken off its back. And so it benefits both of them. And even though it might sound a little bit funny, that's what gospel partnerships are like. We work together to make sure that both parties are flourishing. Both parties are excelling in their faith. We grow and we help each other as we encourage each other, as we spur each other on. See, that's why gospel partnerships are so important, because they help us both to flourish. And so as our passage then continues in, we see those four reasons and four ways that that works. We see that gospel partnerships are powerful. We see that they're personal. We see they're protective. And we see that they're pure. Well, the first thing that we then see is that gospel partnerships are powerful. They can change us and they can change the world. We see it in verses 4 to 10 where Paul gives us this big long list of, uh, of words and of situations. And now we don't have time to go through every little one in detail, but what you'll notice as you look through it is there's four broad sections in it. The first is, in verses 4 and 5, it talks about the hardships and the struggles and the challenges associated with the Christian life. Have a look at verses 4 and 5 with me. In great endurance, in troubles and hardships and distress, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. See, as we go about our mission of making and maturing disciples of Jesus together, we can expect hardships and troubles. We can expect to be misunderstood, to be misinterpreted, to be mistaken. We can expect to be shut down and sidelined and snubbed. As our country moves further and further away from God, we can expect that one day, and perhaps even sooner than expected, the laws might change and it might be illegal to tell people about Jesus. See, there's struggles and there's hardships involved in these gospel partnerships. And I wonder, looking at that list in verses 4 and 5, would, there, would we be willing to put up with what's there for the sake of the gospel? Would we be willing to be united in that kind of sacrificial partnership with others? See, gospel partnerships are difficult they involve hardship and struggles. But the good news is that God hasn't abandoned us to it. God has equipped us with everything we need to get through that. That's what we see in our next point in verses 6 to 7. Have a look with me. In purity, understanding, patience and kindness. In the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. In truthful speech and in the power of God. With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left See, God equips us for the sacrifice that gospel partnerships call for. 
He gives us purity and understanding and patience. And most importantly, he gives us the Holy Spirit who empowers us. And so God has equipped us to make and mature disciples of Jesus together. He's given us everything we need. And we certainly do need it because the next bit we see is the ups and downs of the Christian life. There's soaring heights involved in gospel partnerships. But there's also deep depths. Have a look at verses 8 to 9. Through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown. See, it's the nature of the Christian life. It's the nature of gospel partnerships that there'll be ups and downs, good times and bad times, encouraging times and discouraging times. As we're making and maturing disciples of Jesus together, we'll have times of great joy. We'll see, have times where we see lost souls saved. There'll be times where we see other believers mature in their faith. There'll be times where we see hard-hearted sinners repent and turn back to God. There'll be times of wonderfully high highs. But there'll also be times of deep depths, times of great sorrow. There'll be times where we see our fellow gospel partners diagnosed with terminal illnesses and when we see them die. There'll be times when we see those who seem so close to repenting and believing in God instead turning their back on him. There'll be times where we see those who we thought were fellow gospel partners turn their back on God and wander away. There'll be times of great sorrow. But despite those ups and those downs, we have all we need in Christ. And so we see in the final section of verses 9 to 10, this incredible note of victory where all of the negatives are contrasted with positives. Have a look with me. Dying and yet we live on. Beaten and yet not killed. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Poor yet making many rich. Having nothing yet possessing everything. See, this is key to gospel partnerships. They're powerful. They can't be defeated. God will use them to achieve whatever he wants to. There's this wonderful note of victory there. Even though there's challenges, it ends each one on a positive. Gospel partnerships are powerful. And one of my favourite stories about this is the story of William Tyndale and Humphrey Monmouth. Now, uh, Tyndale was quite an accomplished Christian, theologian, scholar, linguist. He knew eight languages. And Humphrey Monmouth was a, a wealthy and influential businessman. And though, even though they were a little bit different in many ways, what united them was a deep desire to see God known and to see God's people built up. At the time, the Bible was essentially only available in Latin, which was a language that the common people didn't know, and both of them desired to see the Bible translated into English. And so Tyndale and Monmouth set out to do that. Tyndale, being the theologian and the scholar and the linguist, was the one that did the translation work. And as a result, he's the one that's commonly known as, as the guy who translated the Bible into English. But what's often forgotten, or what's even unknown, is the important part that Monmouth played in it. See, he was the financial backer behind Tyndale. He was the one partnering with him behind the scenes. And so even though he's not well known, he was a vital part in the translation of the Bible into English. 
And what I love about that story is that it reminds us, even if we're not the Tyndale, even if we don't feel like we're a theologian or a scholar, even if we don't feel like we're an evangelist or we're able to preach the gospel, there is still a place for us to partner in the gospel, no matter who we are. That's what we see with them. They're different, yet both vital parts in that gospel partnership. And see, God used them incredibly. God used them powerfully to change the world. Because even though Tyndale was in the end killed for his translation work, we are benefiting from that hundreds of years later because we have this, the Bible in English. See, God used that gospel partnership powerfully to change the world. Gospel partnerships are powerful. And gospel partnerships are also personal. They involve us opening ourselves up to each other, having personal relationships together as we partner together in the gospel. Have a look at verse 13. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. See, gospel partnerships involve that openness together. It's not the cold, calculated relationship of a business partnership. No, it's the warm, open relationship of a family. Gospel partnerships are personal. And imagine if our lives were so open to each other, if our relationship was so personal that my non-Christian friends became your friends and your non-Christian friends became my friends. Imagine if that was the case. Imagine how many of them would hear the gospel, would see the change that the gospel has in our lives and might be attracted to that. Imagine how many of our friends might come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. Imagine if our gospel partnerships were that personal, how God could use that. See, as we go about our mission of making and maturing disciples of Jesus, we do it together as brothers and sisters in God, as a family in Christ. We bear our hearts with each other. We rely on each other. We encourage each other. We spur each other on. See, gospel partnerships are personal and they involve us opening ourselves up to each other. And as we do, we know that God will do great things through these personal gospel partnerships. And gospel partnerships are also protective. Paul reminds us and he reminds them to be protective, to be thoughtful about who we partner with. Have a look at verses 14 to 16. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? See, Paul urges the Corinthians to be protective about who they partner with. They wanted to partner with these so-called super apostles who were denigrating Paul, who were changing the gospel. And even though they were charismatic, their theology was way off. It was so far off that Paul calls them unbelievers. And what a recipe for disaster to partner with someone like that. Think back to the uh, illustration before about the birds and the cows. Imagine if those little birds, instead of partnering with those cows, decided to partner with someone else. Imagine if they decided to partner with a fox. What would happen? Well, instead of getting a tasty feast, 
they would become a tasty feast. It's a recipe for disaster. And in the same way, it's a recipe for disaster if we partner with the wrong person. See, don't swap the gospel for a cheap alternative that may seem charismatic and impressive, but ultimately delivers nothing. Be protective about who you partner with. Now, there's often a saying around that opposites attract, that the neat freak will be attracted to the disorganized mess, that the extreme extrovert who's the life of the party will be attracted to the introvert who'd prefer to spend all night at home lost in a book. But in verses 14 to 16, opposites don't attract. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because what does righteousness have to do with wickedness? How can kindness and patience and love have anything to do with meanness and impatience and hatred? They just don't go together. Or what can light have to do with darkness? Light literally chases darkness away when it comes. Or what does Christ have to do with the devil? The devil, Belial, is literally trying to destroy and defeat Christ, although he's failing miserably. They're complete opposites. They're enemies. None of those things belong together. And in the same way, unbelievers and believers can't partner together in gospel ministry. They just don't belong together. They don't belong together. We can't be making and maturing disciples of Jesus together with those who don't believe in Jesus themselves. And now, this passage is often applied to marriage and said uh, Christians shouldn't marry non-Christians. And while that's not the main point that it's making, it is a good point of application across. It takes that principle and applies it to another sphere of life. It reminds us we can't partner with someone who's on a different page to what we're on. But in particular, it is talking about gospel partnerships. And Paul warns us to be protective about who we partner with. And so what he wants us to do then is to separate away from unbelievers. Have a look at verse 17. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Gospel partnerships are protective of who they partner with. But of course... This doesn't mean that we completely ignore non-Christians. It doesn't mean that we never talk to non-Christians. It doesn't mean we can't be friends with non-Christians. And it certainly doesn't mean that non-Christians are not welcome at church. If you're with us today and you're not yet a follower of God, then welcome. We're really glad to have you and this is the best place you could be. But the thing is, the friendships we have with non-Christians are different to the partnerships we have with fellow believers. We partner with believers because we're on the same side. We have the same goal in mind, the proclamation of God's kingdom, the saving of souls, the glorifying of God's name. Gospel partnerships are protective of that. And finally, gospel partnerships are pure. See, God's wonderful promise of salvation motivates us to try and put away the spiritual adultery and to commit ourselves to gospel-centered lives, to gospel-shaped hearts, to gospel-shaped minds, to live a life purified from what contaminates. Have a look at chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body 
and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. See, our gospel partnerships help us to reflect on what God's done for us, on the way he's washed us clean from the muck of sin, from the way he's lifted us up out of our sin. And so when we do, that should motivate us to live for God. Not because we think that saves us, we're already washed clean. But so because we have been washed clean by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, out of thankfulness, out of reverence for God, we strive to live lives pure from sin. And our gospel partnerships help us in that. They encourage us when we're feeling overwhelmed by sin. They keep us accountable when we're feeling tempted by sin. They exhort us to put off our sin and to put on our godliness. See, gospel partnerships help us to live lives that are pure. And that's why our our mission statement is making disciples of Jesus together. But it's also maturing disciples of Jesus together. There's both that aspect of making and maturing, helping each other move forward in our faith. And so that's gospel partnerships. They're powerful and God can change the world through them. They're personal as we open up to each other and we do life together. They're protective. We're careful about who we partner with. We only partner with other believers. And they're pure. In our partnership, we encourage each other towards purity and holiness as we put off sin and put on godliness. See, this is the kind of gospel partnership that God calls us to. This is the kind of gospel partnership that can make and mature disciples of Jesus together. This is the kind of gospel partnership that can, sh- that can share the hope we have as Christians. This is the kind of gospel partnership that can change the world. And so as we close, let me ask you, who could you partner with? Who could you get alongside as you make and mature disciples of Jesus together? Who could you get alongside as you share the hope you have in the God who saves I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel partnerships you've given us. We thank you for the way that this helps us to both make and mature as disciples of you. We ask that you would help us to get alongside each other and to help each other share the gospel. We thank you that uh, you love us so much that you've sent Jesus to uh, wash us clean of the sin, the guilt of sin. And we ask that you would help us to strive to live pure lives as we partner together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.